The Lord be with you. And also with you. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. We gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this day in the praise of God for our congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written and emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us here in worship. As we gather, we do so in the spirit of Charles Wesley, who wrote, Unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combine, truth and love for all to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. O God, whose Son, Jesus, is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, we pause now as our choir guides us to offer individually our prayers of confession in the words of John Greenleaf Whittier. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. Reclothe us in our rightful mind. In purer lives thy service find. In deeper reverence, praise. May we pray. But for the grace of God, we would not be 
But for the grace of God, we could not love. But for the grace of God, we should not speak. But by God's grace, we live and love and speak. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the first epistle of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 23 with the Antiphon. is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Glory to you, O Lord. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. What if the power of Easter, the point of Easter, is more about our past than about our future? What if Easter and the gospel of resurrection means more to us about our remembrance than about our expectation, more about our recollection than our anticipation, more about whence than whither, more about what God has done than about what God will do? You may find this an odd or contrarian point of view. After all, you rightly reason, the promise of Easter is the promise of new life, eternal life, resurrection life, hope, joy, and peace in Christ whom God raises from the dead, all seemingly in the future. Fair enough. But consider for a few brief moments this morning Easter remembrance. Consider, if you will, what Easter means for what has been, what Easter means for your remembrance. So many people can live chained to a broken remembrance, to a mistaken remembrance, to a Lenten remembrance. Lent is good discipline, but life is not meant for Lent. Life is meant for Easter. So many can live caught in a bear trap of implacable memory, trauma, or hurt. So many live haunted by ghosts of days and nights and people in harm from the past. Easter comes around once a year to free us from the past, not in forgetfulness, but in resurrection, not in a futile attempt to change the facts, but in a spiritual discipline of right Easter remembrance. As some of you know, in the summer of 2003, I went with a friend to a country bookstore and for 25 cents bought the first 1,200-page half of Marcel Proust's Remembrance of Things Past. About six years later, I spent another quarter at the same shop for the second 1,200-page half, of which I have now read 500 pages. Proust tests memory. He probes our habits and deceits and perspectives with regard to remembrance. It is detailed, lively, and exhausting to read for me about three pages or so a couple of times a week, and that is plenty. But the project itself is lifelong and may take, in my case, a lifetime of reading. Proust wrote, Sometimes the future is latent in us without our knowledge, and our words, which we suppose to be false, forecast an imminent reality. The author of the Gospel of John is also and mightily engaged in remembrance. Imagine a home in Ephesus 60 years after Golgotha at night, candle lit with 40 people present. Prayer, singing, a shared meal, and quiet all precede a moment of speaking. And then in remembrance, somewhere near the year 90 A.D., 60 years after the first Easter, the preacher stands in the room and speaks. He speaks for Jesus. He speaks in the Spirit. His voice is that of the risen one, and he says, I am the good shepherd. And in that utterance, that prophetic utterance, a new remembrance is born. The community of the beloved disciple determined that their original memory of Jesus was 
wrong or not right enough or not big enough to describe what he had meant for them, become for them, revealed to them. They loved him and they remembered him and they worshiped him. His personal presence, I am the way, truth, life, resurrection, bread of life, door, shepherd, gave them a new way to remember, a better, truer, clearer memory. I wonder this Eastertide, as you think of the Good Shepherd watching over his beloved in love, as we too are to do with each other and for each other, though not to each other, I wonder if there is some maturation in memory, your memory, emerging for you. What is back there holding you back? What is rattling around loose in the back of your mind that needs minding or mending? Is there something you want to leave behind to let go? Or something you want to restore, to reclaim, to recast? Sometimes our hoarding of things is minor compared to our needless and useless hoarding of cluttered, disordered, mistaken memories. Sometimes our memories need a spring cleaning or two. It's not a matter of forgetting. It is a matter of placing things in the Easter light. How? In morning quiet prayer, in an honest chat with a friend, in a private moment of pastoral conversation, in a more formal planned hour of counseling, of therapy, of spiritual grief work, and in worship come Sunday. Some years ago, one of my teachers did so as he remembered one of his own teachers. He shared the memory with me in 2007, and sometimes when I remember to, to, I take it out and I look it over again. This is J. Lewis Martin preaching at Yale at the funeral of Paul Minear. In Paul Minear's testimony, there was no pious escapism from everyday life, There was, in fact, a stark realism, but it was emphatically a double realism, a disturbing realism about the multiple forces that choke the life out of huge numbers of God's children, and a daring realism about the power of God to bless those who mourn and to make even the paralytic stand up and walk. Let me give you one example. As Minear was teaching us to read the Bible, he spoke to us in unforgettable terms about time. Time was clearly a biblical subject that fascinated Paul, and his fascination with that subject proved to be contagious. How are past, present, and future related to one another? We often think about our present as the child of our past, And to some degree, the past is the generative parent of the present. But what then do we actually mean when in churches such as this one, we speak to God in the Lord's Prayer saying, let thy kingdom come. Could it be that when we pray the Lord's Prayer with that clause, let thy kingdom come, we confess the power of God's grace in a new way?
Is God's grace evident precisely in its coming toward us from the future? Are we in God's grace led to sense that the ultimately determining parent of our present is not our past, but rather God's future? Could it be that we bear witness to that fact when Sunday by Sunday we say to God, let thy kingdom come? A good number of you will remember the period in which Rudolf Bultmann was in Germany, in fact in Europe, the scholar who had pointed out that the New Testament documents reflect what many moderns call a mythological worldview. When we read the New Testament, we encounter angels who speak and act among human beings on earth. We hear of demons who take up residence in certain tormented people. We find references to Satan, to principalities and powers, and to the God of this world as a powerful actor in human affairs. Recognizing these so-called mythological elements in the New Testament, Boltman devised an interpretive method that involved what was called demythologization. When this highly respected colleague came from Germany to Boston, the local Christian theologians arranged a meeting for general discussion, and they selected one of their own number to provide a final focus to the conversation. That climax came then when Mynheer said with deep respect, there is between us, Mr. Boltmann, much in common, and as is always the case, what we have in common makes plain the major difference between us. You have, as one of your chief concerns, to demythologize the New Testament, while I have, as one of my chief concerns, that the New Testament demythologize us. It was a respectful comment. It was also a telling summary, for in Mynheer's work, the New Testament does demythologize us, doing so in part by its Golgotha earthquake, that is by moving the ground under our feet in unsettling ways in order to open up to us a new world, the utterly real world, bringing in fact the dawn of what the apostle calls God's new creation in Christ. We are not afterward the same. Our experience, our own experience, is what we have, and in one sense, all we have. Your experience is meant to be honored, respected, cherished, trusted, and then given over to an Easter remembrance. A few weeks ago, speaking of remembrance, a note came from the church we served in Ithaca, New York, beginning in 1979. They are rehearsing their history at their 100th anniversary. The writer was a Cornell professor's spouse who came into the community at that time. They are giving a vignette in worship each week, a remembrance of things past. My own memory of those busy years of young adulthood focuses on work, worship, activities, children born, things to do and do. In some ways, those years stand out for overly active but not necessarily fruitful service. 
but her written recollection, jarring and difficult in its difference from my own, is an Easter remembrance and a lesson or a warning about what lasts in memory and in life. The chapel was served by part-time ministers, she wrote, until its 64th year when Bob Hill, newly graduated from seminary, served as our very first full-time minister from 1979 to 1981. Today he is Dean of Marsh Chapel at Boston University. I especially remember him for something only related to his ministry here, namely his presence at a performance of Brahms' German Requiem given by the Ithaca Community Chorus in 1981. He stood quietly in the back of the concert hall and wept when he heard these words. Behold, all flesh is as the grass, and all the goodliness of man is as the flower of grass. For lo, the grass withers and the flower decays. Now therefore be patient, O my brethren, unto the coming, the coming of the Lord. See how the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience till he receive the early rain and the later rain. So be ye patient as well. Last night, here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, as the choir in the Collegium finished Theodora with magnificent and mellifluous duets, with orchestral and choral flourishes, I thought again of Elizabeth Mount's note, that different memory, that different perspective in memory. Just what are we doing here, week by week? It may be, Marsh Chapel, that your presence your standing presence, your presence in weeping and rejoicing, your musical and beautiful presence here, in Easter remembrance at least, is what matters, counts, lasts, and has meaning. Easter invades our past or our sense of the past or our partial understanding of the past. What is Easter and its mysterious power doing in your life this year? Does this Easter tide bring a rearrangement in remembrance for you? A willingness to let the Good Shepherd help you to let something go? A recognition of a dimension in memory perhaps partly neglected? An honesty about trauma? but also about grace? Has God's future in the Easter gospel somehow invaded your past and offered another reading, another angle of vision, another perspective, a saving one? It would not be the first time. At Easter, Peter remembered his cowardice, but remembered it with courage, on which the church then was built. At Easter, Paul remembered his falsehood, but did so with a confidence in grace, on which the church was then built. At Easter, Mary remembered her blindness in the garden, but did so with a keen sight 
on which a vision of a different kind of church then was built. And you, and your remembrance. Are you like old Citizen Kane clutching his snow sled rosebud? Or are you ready, right now, just now, in this here and now, to bask in the light of an Easter remembrance? Bask gently. Emily Dickinson wrote, By a departing light we see acuter quite than by a wick that stays. There's something in the flight that clarifies the sight and decks the rays. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight, the truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. As we are called to prayer by the singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to respond in ways that would best support the prayers of this congregation. Stand or kneel at the altar rail, raise or clasp your hands in your seat, respond in a language other than English, in any way that you feel moved by the Spirit. I will set the intention, and then I will say, in your grace, If you would please respond, hear our prayer. You who are one, you who are three, one God in holy community. We who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source of all life and Christ and spirit, for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives, for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good. In your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray. 
for ourselves as individuals and for the communities of which we are a part, for our particular ministries in the world, for our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life, for the work of all the Church. In your grace, hear our prayer. With and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all for the life of the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of peace among us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companion animals, birds, insects, and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who disagree with us and those who wish us harm, remembering especially Jokhar Tsarnaev in the sentencing phase of his trial, and for all those who we ourselves have injured or offended. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, spirit, remembering especially in these challenging weeks of trial and sentencing, those injured in the marathon bombings and their families and friends. Our brothers and sisters and neighbors in Nepal and the surrounding areas affected by the earthquake. Our brothers and sisters and neighbors in Baltimore, remembering especially Freddie Gray and his family and friends. Our brothers and sisters and neighbors in the queer community as the Supreme Court holds its hearing on marriage equality. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who have died, remembering especially Crystal Campbell, Sean Collier, Liu Lingzi, Martin Richard, and our brothers and neighbors and sisters in Nepal, for their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations, milestones, and joys of our human life. In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things we pray and trust as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. Amen. And continuing in our prayer together, as our Lord Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. peace of God be always with you. We'd like to take this time to welcome you again to Marsh Chapel, a sanctuary amongst a city, a place of peace in times of chaos and stress. We hope that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you will continue to walk with us here in whatever way is familiar and comfortable to you. We would love to get to know you better and help you get to know one another better. And a great way of doing that is by filling out your name and contact information on the red books towards the center aisle of each pew. So please pass those along. Marsh Chapel is a living and breathing place with many exciting things, a few of which I'd like to announce for you now. Directly following the service will be refreshments downstairs. This is a great time for fellowship and coffee. We would love to greet you personally, so please join us there. You're invited to a community hymn sing this afternoon, hosted by our beloved chapel members, Alice and Urio. This is so free and welcome for all. See the insert in your bulletin for more information. Any graduating students are invited to write a 500-word reflection and submit it to Brother Larry Whitney by tomorrow. For this, I believe, Sunday, which Marsh Chapel will be hosting on May 10th, and you are all welcome to attend. This Friday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., Marsh Chapel is once again hosting Global Stress Relief Day. Join us in the lower level for free yoga, massage, henna, board games, cupcake decorating, and more, and shake off some stress before you hunker down for exams. Please feel welcome to join us. Other events and activities can be found on our website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also an opportunity for online giving. Now, as we call the ushers forward, let us be reminded that it is a gift to be a giver. Whether you're at home listening on the radio or here with us in community today, we now all have an opportunity to practice an ancient Christian discipline of sacred generosity. As the choir lifts us up in song, may you find yourself being as generous as you are able.
Blessed are you, O God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts, ourselves, our time, and our possessions. Use us and what we have gathered in feeding the world with your love through the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever.